Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan. I'm here with Peter Rollins. This is a podcast where we explore the possibility of life before death. We talk about psychoanalysis, philosophy, theology, psychology, biology, phenomenology, typology, yeah, phenomenology. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us. I hope you're doing very well. If you like yep. this podcast, feel free to like this video, subscribe to this channel, or go to iTunes. You can look it up there, as well as Spotify. There's a whole slew of new episodes for the iTunes folks uh, that are so good, and we're having a great time. <laughs> Um, last episode, Pete called it. Weezer did not hit as well as we were hoping it would. It turns out that, you know, maybe we keep it a little bit more ethereal, a little bit more philosophical. So in this particular episode, we are going to be talking about madness. But first... The band. The, ba- the, ba- the band? <laughs> yeah, the band Madness. Do you know the band Madness? No. I've oh, n- they're a British mod band. Okay. From like the 1980s. Well, uh, yeah, that I definitely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I know... Um, Madness, the song by Muse, is probably... Okay. Oh, So, but before we dive into that, just so you guys know, mm-hmm. if you're in uh, quarantine right now, you're in lockdown, you're bored out of your mind, and you're like, I want to shake things up in my head, uh, Peter does a festival called... Oh, thank you. Uh, I didn't even set you up for this. No, thank you didn't. You. That's lovely. Uh, Peter does a festival called Atheism for Lent. Oh, no, that's not the festival. That's, uh, that, the festival's wake. And then the yeah. the decentering practices atheism for Lent. There go you go. That. Yeah. Okay. That'd so I'm a very I'm very good <laughs> at doing this. Uh, atheism for Lent is a decentering uh, thing that he does, where you decenter your assumptions about things, you decenter your your belief systems, so that when you jostle yourself up, you can uh, you can sort of have a new perspective on things. And who doesn't want that when everything feels like every day is running into the next day and there's no tomorrow or no, and no yesterday. Uh, and you can get information for that at what PeterRollins.com? PeterRollins.com. Well, and you it's, you know, to say something about that as well, like atheists and theists are often seen as the polar opposites. And um, actually atheism and theism are intertwined in a very rich way in philosophy. And by going through this course, you'll see how they enrich each other. And I think that might also give hints about how we can find other opposing groups and see how they can interrelate. Because say atheism and theism, people think that they are two completely kind of opposed camps. Right. And really actually they're not. So uh, that's what atheism for Lent explores partly. Yeah, because you can't have, you can't be, I mean, if you're an atheist, you're, you're against the idea of a particular form of God. Yeah, and a lot of theism is also atheistic because it rejects certain notions of God. And then, there, yeah, it starts to get kind of very messy very quickly in a really interesting way. Yeah. Like, yeah so That's why you just become a polytheist. Ah. Uh, That's what all the cool kids are doing. Is that right? Are they all... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Join me for my talk. <laughs> polytheism for Lent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can check that out in the description. Now we're going to dive in. Oh, and by the way, just as an update, I still, uh, I have not. Oh, I wanted to ask about the toilet. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I didn't even, I didn't even prep you for that. Mm. You just brought it up and I appreciate that. That's good. I uh, was thinking about you when I flushed my toilet earlier I think today. about you every time I flush now, and that yeah. was not a part of this whole thing, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, I have, I'm not, I haven't gotten any more new tablets because yeah. I don't want to reach into the tank and like get the blue cup. You don't have to get the mite before you put in new ones. So Unless you the, drink from the toilet bowl. Well, I do sometimes, right, yeah. but the only on like Saturday nights. But like, it, yeah, I guess I don't have to. I could just add more. Just add more. Yeah. They dissolve. They dissolve very gradually over like three months. 
Yeah, okay. But you put a couple in, doesn't matter, you know, they just dissolve very gradually. So, okay, maybe I'll get some new ones then. Yeah, yeah, you treat yourself. Like, honestly, you know. I need something. This is, this. you know, things are difficult these days, so. Yeah. That'll just lighten your day. It truly is, like, the stupidest project that I really have dived into. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've dived into some stupid projects. I've dived into <laughs> yeah. some pretty stupid projects, I tell you. Uh, all right, well, let's talk well, about... by the way, also, I apologize for the other reason why the episode might not have done well, is I completely got the audio and the video messed up, and you had to put a new video oh, up. Oh, yeah, we had to, I had to re-upload that. Yeah. All the time. I am, I'm rubbish at that. It's I, my, I should have... I don't... I tend to not... I should check it more, but I just don't. And like I, yeah, I did. I've done the same thing with the the Valleycast. I'll upload it and get it all set to go, and uh, and I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. And then I, it ends up not being fine. Okay, after right. So it, it 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 you know it's a we're getting better, guys. You know what I mean. But let's mm-hmm. talk about madness. Yes, madness. This is my theme. Uh, I yes, was this thinking, is your your choice. Yeah, my choice. Because I guys thought it'd be an interesting topic. What is madness? We talk about you're losing your mind because we're all losing our minds. Exactly. And there's a lot of, you know, there's definitely people, some people are having delusional breaks because of the anxiety and you can see it in society at large. And among, I'm sure we all know people who are kind of, kind of losing it, become very paranoid. Paranoia is a structure. So I thought, well, well, what what is madness? Because it's easy to say, Someone is mad, but what does that mean? Um, so I'll kick it off, and then we'll take it from there. I love it. Um, yeah, so m- whenever people use the word madness, technically we're talking about, yeah, psych- psychotic delusions. Mm-hmm. Right? So psychotic delusion, what is a psychotic delusion? And Lacan, who is notoriously difficult, but sometimes says something very succinct, puts something in a very, very tight he way. He was notoriously delusional? Oh, no, notoriously difficult. Mm. Yeah, I hear what I want to hear. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but he said, he had a great phrase. He said, um, a beggar who thinks that he's a king is mad, but so is a king who thinks he's a king. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, which is great. Very good. And so in that phrase is the idea that madness is something to do with a failure of the symbolic where you directly relate to some sort of role within society. There's no symbolic distance. You think you are something. So either the beggar thinks they're a king, like they literally think that they are this rule, or even a king thinks they're a king. They, they fully identify. They don't see themselves as a symbolic figure, as a figure who's basically inhabiting a symbolic rule. Whenever there is no distinction between your symbolic rule and yourself, and you kind of see them as completely one, that's the sign of a delusional break. And I'll say something about um, Jean-Paul Sartre said something interesting connected to this. He talked about a waiter uh, that he saw in a Parisian cafe who thought that he was a waiter. So Sartre looked at this guy and saw that he was really, had all the gestures, was really acting up as if, they, as if he was a waiter. And Jean-Paul Sartre called this bad faith because he said he's not a waiter. We have all of these rules in society, but the rules don't define us. When we think we are the rule that we are inhabiting, um, there's something of bad faith in that. And John Paul Sartre would have hated Applebee's. You ever eat at an Applebee's? I've never eaten at an Applebee's. One of those, like? It's like one of those places where the waiter like sits down at the table with you, and they're like, hey, guys, 
all right, we got some crazy deals for you right now. We have this back ribs and with the fajitas and the sizzling the bread and the and and why are you guys what's going and then they like try it and you're like. Oh, you're really like doing this whole song and dance thing. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's that thing when you know, when you know a person is acting what they are. Yes, yeah. too too much. That's it. And but that for Sard and and for Lacan, that is not madness, because you know that you're not uh, what you're acting, but you're trying to be it. So a psychotic individual doesn't have the distance. They don't know they're playing a role. They don't even kind of like act. They they literally completely think they yeah. are the thing that um, they're imagining. So that's the initial thought. Um, I did have an example of a type of, I, I'm not, oh, this is bad. I don't think that Jordan Peterson is necessarily psychotic, but it is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what a segue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a dream and it wasn't about my mother. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, no, it, it's interesting because I was reading an article came out a few weeks ago, um, and we were talking about this earlier, I don't think you read it, uh, about Jordan Peterson's illness and what happened. Do you know anything about this? Have you followed this I can at all? tell you my understanding. <sighs> okay, Jordan Peterson is definitely as close in this realm of a type of podcast that we do, probably as close as we could get to a hot-button uh, uh, conversation. Uh, People seem to a lot of people really really hate him vehemently a lot of people really love him yeah uh vehemently and he is um a polarizing figure and he is also a uh, would be described i guess as a jungian because he loves jung and he also is very um it seems to be in my estimation this is just my opinion he seems to be very rigid in his uh, ideas about certain things, which is fine. Uh, I'm curious what his new book is going to be. So I know he felt ill as a result of being addicted to um, pain medication. Um, opiates? Yeah, it's kind of an antipsychotic. Uh, benz, benz, uh, benzene, benzene. Benzos or benzene. Yeah, yeah. Ben, benzodiazepine. Definitely. And it like came out of nowhere, it seemed mm. like. Like it seemed to be no one knew that he was going through this and had been going through this. And I guess he almost died. died yeah. And um, then he like did a book announcement, a new book announcement about his follow up to the, you know, 12 rules for life or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then that's the last thing I saw. But I find it to be a very interesting conversation. I was so into the Zizek Peterson debate. Yeah. And then I was um, happy that Zizek, I would say, yeah, yeah hands down one but uh it was right after that that peterson dropped just by the way, disappeared great yeah. so what you i'm sure know more so please fill me in on okay. what's going on because yeah, i truly... so I'll, yeah i'll fill you in with a bit of the, the the background of the illness and then i'll make my yeah point. yeah let me know yeah. i'm and, very curious oh yeah and the the, the thing i'm going to talk about is not like pro or anti peterson as such but more you mentioned why he has such a powerful kind of negative or positive draw for people and then what might have what might have happened to him so anyway yeah he he fell ill he was on uh, i mean um the drugs he was on were kind of antidepressants but also i think they can be used for antipsychotics as well um but then yes he got kind of an addicted he went around various hospitals eventually ended up in serbia 
and he got a diagnosis for um, akathisia, which is, um, I, I don't know much about akathisia, but it's a, it means you can't sit still, you're very fidgety, you're very kind of like, it's, um, uh, it can look a little bit like schizophrenia. But, but what happened, the interesting thing to me was he was in Toronto and he went to see a doctor and he was initially diagnosed with schizophrenia. Not, I don't know if he was officially diagnosed, but a doctor suggested it might be schizophrenia. And then they didn't accept that diagnosis. And then they traveled, I think, first to Russia, and then they went to Serbia. Um, and then they got this diagnosis for akathisia um, and kind of got treatment for that. But the interesting thing to me was this initial diagnosis mm -hmm. of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, right? I kind of mm -hmm. like, I, you know, I don't know Jordan Peterson, never met him, probably never will. But there is something I've always seen in his thinking. There's a number of elements that do remind you of a type of psychotic structure. And so the, the, the main one, there's a few, but one of the big ones is uh, he used uh, this analogy of um, lobsters once, mm -hmm. right? The famous mm -hmm. lobster thing, right? The interesting thing about the lobster thing was he basically said lobsters have hierarchical systems depending on their strength and their dominance or submissiveness within a, a biological system. And the funny thing about lobsters, if I'm right, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're very immersed in their environment. Like if you change the water uh, concentration of pollution, you can kill them very quickly. Like they're, they're very absorbed in their environment. And they've got these natural hierarchies. Like a cold-blooded bug might be. Oh yeah, it's, oh yeah, you're the you're the zoologist. I mean, so. they're 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 a bug. They have a they're cold blooded. So yeah, they're, they're like be, sea bugs. They're sea bugs. They're yeah. just big ro they're big roaches that that taste good. Yeah, they taste very good. Um, so his thing was, he was kind of saying that in society, in many ways, we can there there are hierarchies of meritocracies, and people who are smarter or more you know stronger or more empathetic can take on certain rules. And that, you know, I guess he was saying that this is, this is a good way of organizing and structuring society, kind of a type of meritocracy. But the funny thing is, right, the, the bit, there's obviously a few differences between humans and lobsters, but the main difference is lobsters aren't symbolic. Lobsters don't have a symbolic relation with their environment. They simply are in their environment. They have these hierarchies. Human beings are symbolic. So a human being acts certain rules, whether it's a general or a doctor or a parent or whatever it or is. Or a we lobster. Have, or a lobster, yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in cosplay, right? We, we, we symbolically enact rules. And you just have to be good enough to be able to enact the rule. Oh, what were you going to say? No, no. Oh, yeah. Please keep going, yeah. So, I, have, I have many thoughts. Oh, good, yeah, yeah. So the interesting thing is, I say the psychotic for Lacan is the one who, who doesn't see their symbolic rule. They fully identify mm -hmm. with what they are. Mm -hmm. And my mm -hmm. wonder is, mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing about psychotics, of course, is they suffer it. from certainty. I love what you're doing here, Pete. All oh, right, nice. <laughs> um, this is actually where, where, where Lacan uh, critiqued Jean-Paul Sartre, because Sartre was all about authenticity. And Lacan basically said, well, psychotic delusions are authentic. You literally think you are a king if you're a beggar, right? There is complete authenticity and complete certainty. But the other thing is, it's to say that it's a full identification with your rule. And I get the feeling that Peterson started to identify with the symbolic rule that people had created for him. 
Like instead of seeing him as not the role of people who loved him and hated him, right? But he's just a regular guy who enacts that role just like a priest, you know, dresses up in a certain guise and becomes the personification of grace, right? But they're not, but they become that. Uh, or a therapist becomes a personification of acceptance and, and listening. So Peterson is a symbolic father figure that some people hate and love. But I think he identified with his role as a father figure and that that probably caused too much stress. So anyway, that was that, that, that's my object lesson in uh, psychotic delusion. I am so like blown away, first of all, because all of this is like in my brain right now, like a Tetris game falling into place with my previous thoughts on Jordan Peterson and what you've just said, because... You know, I, uh, I, at the risk of whatever, I like Jordan Peterson. I do not love Jordan Peterson. I do not look up to him as any type of father figure. Uh, but I do not put any kind of like ill intention in, in what he does. Yeah. I also don't know a lot about him, so I might be ignorant in that, that regard. Uh, I can understand why people have huge problems with him, and I'm starting to understand more why people have huge problems with him. But my impression of him, when I see him in like interviews and stuff, is like it's hard to explain because I respect part of it. But his stoicism uh, and his groundedness and his actual like physical stillness. Mm-hmm has always sort of irked me in a weird way like there is there has always been a sort of um like lighten the hell up dude like (laughs) relax like why are you trying to be like he almost seems to think that he's like a freud like he kind of thinks that he's like just i'm and it's like you you're something's going on under the surface my assumption previously had been like this guy must do some like weird stuff in the bedroom to like <laughs> compensate for this weird sort of like stoic i have it all figured out persona the idea i'd had no idea until you said that that somebody may have suggested a sort of schizophrenia because it does seem like he he is uh so consciously aware of making sure that he seems put together and you clean your room and you you uh you know, you take care of yourself first and you, you're orderly and structured. It's like someone who's that obsessed with, with order and structure. Um, I can only assume has like, you know, elements about them that completely go against that. And, uh, it would make sense that in the hyper like echelon that he is in and under the immense pressure that he is in that, yeah, there would be some crazy, there'd be some crazy stuff going on. Yeah. And then you find out about antipsychotic drugs and all this stuff. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Something's yeah. going, something's up. He's, he is trying to almost keep up maybe based on what you're saying with like the persona, the like so- the symbolic rule. Yeah. Cause if, I mean, this is actually a good way. We can, we come back to this every now and again, the difference between neurotic, perverse and psychotic in the Lacanian structure. But if, if, if for example, and not knowing Peterson at all, but if he was neurotic and he was obsessed with the order, what would be going on behind the scenes is he's disordered. And of course, there's a famous meme where he's very disordered <laughs> in his house. But, you know, neurotics often, they promote what they're not. So a neurotic promotes what they're not. And behind the scenes, they're disordered, but they're promoting it. A perverse subject 
gives you rules, but they see themselves as an exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. They see themselves as they don't have to obey the rules that everybody has to obey. Psychotic fully identifies with the rule. They fully believe they are. And there is something, because I I had to watch a lot of Peterson once, because I did a a talk on him one time, and I remember watching his seminars on the Bible, and there was a couple of times where he talked about dreams, and one of the dreams he dreamt that he was brought up to heaven uh, by God, and he had to fight the devil. And I think, he, I think he, he basically fought the devil and he won. And then he kind of, I think he was angry at God for putting him into this fight. But God said, basically, well, you're, you're the one, you know, you're the one to fight the devil. You're Neo. Yeah, yeah, you're Neo. And I, get, I remember listening and going, oh, I think he's thinking that he is who people think he is. Like, because, and that, by the way, for any celebrity, if you can't distinguish between your symbolic rule and yourself, you're going to collapse. And so, you know, I go like, I wonder whether, like, that that was part of the collapse is um, that he wasn't able to go, I'm not Jordan Peterson. Like, Oprah Winfrey once said this, Oprah Winfrey once said, I need to take the advice of Oprah Winfrey. In other words, she realized that she's not Oprah Winfrey. She realized that there is, she is Oprah Winfrey, but Oprah Winfrey is also a symbolic figure in America that she inhabits right she's not oprah winfrey she is not at one with oprah winfrey yeah she's not the idealized version that has been created through an entire like industry of people whereas kanye west thinks he's kanye west yeah yeah so 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 where kanye west potentially is suffer suffers from psychotic delusion oprah winfrey doesn't i mean this always brings us back you know to the conversation about weezer where uh rivers Mm -hmm. went on a uh co-writing spree and still does a lot of co-writing with uh of his songs with a bunch with of oprah winfrey with oprah winfrey yeah. and um that's probably can't stop partying probably cool with that <laughs> with her but uh he uh he does all these co-writing things and then in an interview uh in a, a few years ago in the recent years the drummer of the band uh said um that you know maybe rivers should co-write a song with the guy who wrote say it ain't so Weezer's like most famous song basically uh-huh. and also the song that oh, River very solo good. wrote <laughs> uh, and it was like maybe you should try writing a song with the guy who wrote Fading Soul that was pretty good that's uh, very good yeah, yes. very yeah, yeah 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 but uh yeah yeah he, he over identified with it which is scary and then it but I mean can you blame him because I think the alternative to to uh over identifying you know, we all know who Kanye West is and all know who Oprah is. I think if you disengage too much from this symbolic thing, mm-hmm. then you become irrelevant. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. If you just that's completely nice. go into your own world and you're like, I'm me, I'm not that, then no yeah. one will care about either of them. Yes. Yeah, no, that is a good point. Then you got to make money. Yeah, you gotta be. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to have a good really. Yeah, because for Jean Paul Sartre, bad faith is when you identify too much with your symbolic figure, right? And that's kind of a neurotic thing. And lots of people do that. Psychosis is whenever you completely, fully think you are it. The perverse subject is the one who can completely play the game. They completely pretend they're a judge. They know they're not. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it is about trying well, to get the right relationship to your symbolic identity. Right. What yeah. what is uh, what is he up to now? What's the deal? I know oh, he yeah. and I'm really curious about because I have I have hope. I would hope this 
to anyone, regardless of my opinion of them. But like, it seems like he's about to release a new book that might be less rigid, less about order and more about embracing chaos and embracing disorder and all that. Yeah. Isn't, that was my impression of what he's, he's currently He's bringing a second book out. And if I'm wrong, he'll be fine. Like if I'm wrong, he's on the road to recovery. He's going to be back in the game, going to write some books and continue to do what he's doing. If I'm right, which I'm not even saying I'm right because I don't know, but if if he does actually suffer from a psychotic structure, then he's going to collapse again, mm-hmm. you know, in a couple of years. Because so I, you know, but but if, but if he just has um, uh, uh, akesthesia, whatever it is, um, then and if if Michaela is right, so Michaela, it's very interesting. So mm. they're they're very they like most people don't want to. Want to, want this to be a purely physical thing, right? Want this to be a physical addiction, a, a physiological thing, not a patholo- not having a pathological dimension. So they very much very explainable, very, very explainable, yeah, yep. yeah, no big uh, deal. He's just got some imbalances in his brain that need to be corrected, yes. and it'll be fine. And everything can be controlled through what you take into your body and what you release from your body, which again in our exorcism episode, but was all about there's a there's like there's a lot of socially acceptable eating disorders today right mm-hmm. where people actually make a whole living out of like controlling what goes into their body what goes out of their body they they're very into thinking about what happened with jordan peterson as a physiological thing that's to do with you know uh biology and you know can be fixed through diet and certain drugs so if they're right then he's on the road to recovery I just go like, I you know, the pathological and the physiological are very intertwined. What would you like to see happen? I'd like to see him do good. Yeah. Or, or as in, what, if, if, if I'm right, what should he do? No. Do you want him, do you, would you like him to be, uh, not to say converted, but like, would you like to see him break through and come out as this sort of new version that can balance this, contradiction within himself or do you want to see him stay on brand and keep doing his uh-huh. thing oh no i would you know i definitely like to see him <laughs> change I, i'm not <laughs> a huge fan of peterson <laughs> um but the funny thing is i understand his appeal because i think he critiques some things that need to be critiqued like i think like but it's his diagnosis i think is 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 incorrect so obviously obviously i'm more shizakian than i right. am you know but but yeah i would love him i'd love to see him kind of uh, change kind of his his worldview and all that. Pivot. But I don't think that's going to happen. Pivot What's a little bit. What's that? Just pivot. Pivot a little bit. I don't, like I was, I wondered what he thought of the Shizek debate. Like at first he disappeared straight after that. And before I knew anything, I was like, did it hit him that hard? Because although I think, you know, he was, you know, he, he didn't come out looking good in that. I didn't think it was, you know, that bad. And, and Shizek was very nice to him. So I was like, it couldn't have been that. But then I kind of wonder whether it hit him at all or whether, I don't know. I was interested, but it turns out, no, it was this other thing that was going on. Well, I credit you with this, Pete, but it was one, seeing that debate was one of the few times where I've been like, if I know what you're talking about and why what you're talking about is wrong, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh. <laughs> like if I understood even a little bit of it, because I was like, what? He's doing, what is he saying? Marks and that's not, what? And I was like, oh. I'm not, I don't get a lot of this stuff and I have my own little whatever about it. But like, 
I was like, this is, it's like he was unprepared and I can understand why that would potentially like be very heavy for him to deal with. Yeah. I mean, he did go in, he, he went in having read the communist manifesto, a pamphlet that Marx, uh, wrote of Engels uh, that was for workers. Like it was a manifesto. It was a pamphlet that, and he went in having read that against, uh, one of the most important political theorists <laughs> alive today. <laughs> um, so it, yeah, it was, it, it, it would look bad. I don't know, but yeah. It did look bad, and you have to wonder about what, for someone so concerned with order and hierarchy and, you know, you, you puff your shoulders up and all that, you'd have to wonder what's going on mentally that you would not prepare for something like that if perhaps there was a little bit of um, fear of, of reading too much or stepping into yeah. something. So easiest just to read the pamphlet, get the money for the debate, and walk away from it, not yeah. knowing that it would reveal his uh, maybe slight uh, weaknesses, which who cares? Like, of course, who cares? Like, he didn't, if he didn't know, he didn't know. That's not a big deal. It just yeah. sucks that it was propped up as this epic, like, you know, two heavy hitters of equal weight in yeah. different areas of thought, and you're like, yeah, but like anyone would lose any debate against someone who knows more about their subject than you yeah. know about the thing you're debating. Yeah. Now, if he, debate, if he debated clinical psychology or something that, you know, that's different because that's his area. But one of the issues is, and, and again, this is the certainty issue, is that whenever people have are tyrannized by certainty, they think they can speak in a whole range of areas. And so they, they kind of think that they can speak in a type of proselytizing or authoritative right. way about a whole pile of areas. And that never looks good. And so, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's not a good look, man. It's not a good look, not a good look. So that, yeah, it was interesting as well because Shizek, the reason why Shizek did it was because a lot of people were being drawn to Peterson because of his critique of identity politics and identitarianism. And uh, Shizek just wanted to do it so that he, he would show that people who are critical of that don't need to go to the right. There's also uh, a non-woke left. And, uh, and so Shizek just gave all his money away. And it's if you like Jung, you don't have to go to the right. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. So Shizek just, Shizek, like Peterson wanted to go on the road with it and uh, to, because they made a lot of money. But Shizek just gave all his money away and said, no, just doing it once. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, why would he go on the road? Why would he just keep being? Yeah, what is he yeah. fighting for? If there's yeah, yeah, he's not. He's. I mean, Shizak. Shizak's been very ill, close to death, and I think's happy to be close to death. But he just all he's interested in is writing, getting his thoughts out before before really? death. And yeah, and he's um and he's you know he's written some incredible books recently. Like Man. he's 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 as strong as he ever was. Yeah. Man, I hope. Yeah. Oof. I didn't know he wasn't doing well either. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a little bit better, but yeah, he did. He had a bad time, and you know, he's he was on the, just, yeah, um, can't remember what happened, but he's just uh, maybe he had a stroke and a few things, but just meant that he wasn't traveling. He's, but he's still writing phenomenally, you know. Can I tell you about a weird thing that happened to me today that oh, maybe yeah. caused a little bit of a psychotic break? Mm -hmm. I went to Seven uh, Eleven to get half and half. Um, I've been to Seven Eleven a few times. That the one that we used to live close to in North Hollywood. Yeah, that's a rough one. And that's this a rough one. Slightly better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I remember walking down to that Seven Eleven when we lived together and being like, "This yeah. is very close." That was I, that was one of your low points is when you were going to Seven Eleven to buy shitty food. I mean, you try living with you, man. You'll I end know. up doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, anyway. uh, that's not true at all. But uh, <laughs> uh, I went to Seven Eleven, and as I was walking out. 
there was um, basically it seemed like a homeless older gentleman coming into the store. Same time I was leaving. So I just sort of held the door open for him. And he hit me with this. He, he says to me, he says, thank you, tough guy. And uh, I have not stopped <laughs> thinking about that uh-huh. all day. I've been like, tough guy. Why would Is he- that a compliment or a slide? I don't know. But it definitely made me look at myself, truly look at myself through the gaze of the other mm. and be like, what the heck was I doing <laughs> that, I, that I earned the tough guy thing? But a part of me liked it because yeah, I, I was like, yeah, cool, yeah. I seem yeah. like a tough guy. Yeah. But also I'm holding the door open at a, like a gesture of politeness. And then I like looked down. I was like wearing these clothes. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I guess this looks like a intentional outfit. Like this doesn't oh, yeah. look like the clothes that I just, which I guess it is because I put them on. But I'm like, it's a t-shirt and jeans. And uh, you're man, tall as well. I'm tall yeah. and I have dyed hair, and that also is kind of like a loud thing. I think that's my theory. Yeah, like, but it it's looks... not a t- like it's like that's not a symbol of toughness. It's a symbol. exactly none of what I I feel like nothing is a symbol of toughness yeah. when you yeah. <laughs> when you look at me. But me holding the door open, thank you, tough guy. It was such a great. I was like, thank you, tough guy, and I understand that this person is is you know probably dealing with their own stuff, but uh, it was a wild. Well, I, you know, situation. <laughs> maybe, yeah, you should just say weird things to people occasionally and That's it'll just what mess it, with them for a long time. I kind of loved it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, that might be the my favorite thing anybody's yeah. ever said to me. It also is like so funny. Like, yeah. it's so funny. Thanks, tough guy. What? I'm like, yeah. no one wants to be considered a tough guy. I've never been considered a tough guy. So it was all, yeah. it was fast. I was like, did he just say, what did? It was like, see, it was like I felt the words falling into different areas of my brain, trying to find places to be filed under niches and words. It's a good way to get people to like you, but it's to say things like, I got to throw in a little statement that's kind of a little bit of a compliment, like uh, funny guy, tough guy, or whatever. And people, you know, people like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll try it. Mm. I don't know. Um, Well, Well, there is, there is a lot of like, I mean, walking around here. And uh, there's a little bit of homelessness, and you'll end up like similar. Get talking little to people. A little bit in downtown yeah, LA. Yeah, a little bit downtown LA, <laughs> and you'll get you get talking to people, and um, you know you 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 see some of the people here, you know, are definitely suffering from delusional, like a, a failure of the symbolic. There, there's completely. Um, uh, there's the, and that's basically what madness is in the terms of delusion. It's a, there's a failure in the symbolic, and then they identify fully with. Like, in other words, if you know you're not mad, if you think you are, like if you can make, if you can distance yourself from your madness, then you're not mad. In fact, that's partly the cure for psychotic delusion is you help the person create an artificial distance. Mm -hmm. So they're able to actually, they'll still feel certain that God's talking to them. Like you get a lot of that right on the streets down here. But um, so they'll feel that. But what you do is you you introduce a little bit of doubt. So you say to me, well, God's talking to me. God wants me to do X. And then, then all you say is, okay, well, did God give you a time frame? And I go, well, no, right? You go, okay, so you yeah. could, so you, could uh, you know, work with it. It could be the next week you have to do this act or the next five years. You go, and, but if you're able to introduce enough distance where a person can, like, 
distance themselves from their delusion, then so I think some analysts would call that the neuroticization of psychosis. It's your so you're neuroticizing psychosis. You're making you're making them question it. That reminds me recently, as in last night, where uh, my girlfriend got the impression that has gotten the impression that our um, house might be somewhat haunted. And uh, so we did the logical thing, which is to sage the place and make sure it was rid of any evil the, energy. The logical thing, um, yeah. Which, hey, yep. you know what? I don't know. What do yeah. I know? <laughs> and But when we were saging the place, there was a lot of smoke. Uh, and, you know, I'm going around I'm like, we're going to, there's good energy coming in. There's bad energy going out. There's bad energy gone with this sage gone god i but wish then, i had a video of this it was wonderful it was <laughs> so fun dude it that would was, be so, good fun, it was yeah. truly very cute yeah but then when we got around the fire alarm and the smoke was waving everywhere i was like and it's okay if the spirit if the evil spirits want to hover around the fire alarm because i don't want to set that <laughs> off right now so let's move past that a little bit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it's fine we're going to get all the evil spirits out but they're allowed to hover around that because i don't want it to go off and i don't want it to be alarming and uh, it was very fun and very very cute nice. and it smelled great so yeah you know yeah that, I, I love all that kind of stuff gotta enter you know, into it you know gotta enter into it that you ritualize things and all of that but nine nine times out of ten you know the what we see in the world is what is within us and you know and you can even spiritualize that but yeah we what we see in ghosts or in people we dislike or people we love is some disavowed or repressed element of ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Yep. I had this idea for a YouTube video where I was going to go opinionless, mm -hmm. um, and I was just going to truly just burn all of my opinions, and I had this idea to do... I was going to write out all of my opinions that I could think of from any, any opinion that I have, and I was going to print it out, not write it because that takes too long, but print it, cut it up, and take a pan light all of my opinions on fire because I'm done. Who cares? Yeah. But I would not burn my beliefs. I'd keep my beliefs and then burn all of the opinions. And what, and what's you, how would you make that distinction between a belief and an opinion? Well, uh, it's a, it is, I mean, I'm a huge, myself, a huge Jordan Peterson fan. So it, no, not, <laughs> it's a hierarchy. Right. And I think, uh, opinions are pretty close to the top of the pyramid. Okay. Under that are beliefs. Under that is your uh, psychology, your your upbringing, your actual, and then below that you got your unconscious and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So you keep a lot of the pyramid, but you lose the beliefs because, or you lose the opinions, Freudian slip. You lose the opinions because that's what people come after you for. People uh, right. really care what your opinions are. So my whole hot take right now on cancel culture is not that it's bad. I think it's awesome. I just think it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. I think that we need to start going after people. Cancel for everybody. We ask every one. That's yeah. exactly what I'm <laughs> yes, saying. That's very nice. And we need to go after people for their their deep, deep rooted beliefs, and then and include all the opinions. Take them all down. Oh uh, yeah, that's good. That's just oh, me yeah, yeah. having a fun time. <laughs> I like it. I like <laughs> I don't it. Give a shit. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah, you know there is a funny triangle here you could so the way i break it down sometimes is there's your beliefs there's your opinions and then there's what other people think so your beliefs are what you most affirm as in this is what i think 
opinions are like, well, this is what people think, and you distance yourself a little bit, and then what other people think are, I heard this, I'm not saying it, but that and mm. that's, but that is another way of disavowing what you believe. So I always look at what do you think other, like what does society think? It's a great question to ask people is what do you think, like, you know, what do you think the ghosts think or what do you think society thinks? And then you find a disavowed thing that they're thinking. Um, what do your friends think? Yeah. You know, what do you th- you Who know, are your friends, friends think? Exactly, for? exactly. So that's why if you give it, you know, give a teddy bear to your kid and say, what does teddy bear think of daddy? Yeah. Rather than what do you think of daddy? Hey, I, I don't, did we talk about the dream that I had? Uh, I won't go into details, but Please this is do. funny. Is um, I had a dream. It was weeks ago. I can't hardly remember it. But I told it to you, and then you came in to the room. Uh, you were in the bathroom. You came in, and you had a knowing smile on your face. And I said, oh, I know what you think this dream's about. And then I did an interpretation of the dream, and then you just looked at me and go, I was thinking about something completely different. <laughs> so what I needed was a su- what's called a subject supposed to know. I had yeah. to go, I-, I knew what you're thinking, and that allowed me to say what I was thinking mm-hmm. in a disavowed way. And then when I did the interpretation, I was like, oh, wow, that... That's right, because because the interpretation was I couldn't get it. It was uh, it was eluding me because I was because my defenses were against it. But when I thought that you knew what it was, I was able. And when I was going like, it's not what I'm thinking. This is what Elliot's thinking. I was able to give the correct interpretation. Isn't that fun? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm taking a you know this. I'm taking a course in dreams. That's right. Currently, uh, and what I've learned. Uh, I mean, there's obviously a union bent to it, but. Uh, the overarching thesis of the class is that, you know, there's multiple ways of interpreting dreams from the idea that they're just brain goo in your head to uh, holding on to the dream image and all that stuff. But in the most recent classes we did, they did a a series of sort of like questions that you can ask uh, and, and ask about your own dreams. And it was really, really interesting because basically they were going like, don't just let it, let, let it go like don't try to don't try to come up with some direct interpretation because the effect of the dream can happen uh in just the process of retelling it Mm -hmm. or of acting it out or of sticking with the image or of looking at it symbolically of looking at it through what you consciously might be struggling with like there's all these other Mm -hmm. these all there's all these ways of it but uh it's very very fun but what was the dream so it was just a dream where um I was walking a friend's uh, kid around in Belfast while they were chatting to somebody else. and um, The kid was chatting to somebody else? Uh, no, I was looking after their kid while their I parent was chatting with somebody else. And um, yeah, it kind of like, I didn't know what it meant at all. Um, there's a little bit more to it, but I was like, I just mm-hmm. don't know. And then, and then the subject's supposed to know, and this is a great thing in Lacanian psychoanalysis, the subject's supposed to know is all, the analyst doesn't have to know you just have to think that they know, and then you put your thoughts into them, and then you're able to see your thoughts for yourself. So with a figure that seems to have the truth, you can come to the truth. So weirdly, you have to presuppose that there is a truth out there that someone has in order to access the truth that nobody has. Yeah, um, and I can probably guarantee you I was thinking about the color of your toilet water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can almost and then you're like you know what it is that's dream met and I was like yeah I, I do absolutely <laughs> it was so funny because like I, I've never been caught out so quick because I knew that structure and as soon as I did it I was like oh god that look gotcha. at that I, I, I just did it <laughs> very so, funny yeah very good um, yeah and it, well 
How are you feeling? The, how, how, how far in are we? We're like 45. I feel like this is very nice. I feel That's like it's been a nice talk on Jordan Peterson, the idea of madness, psychosis, over-identifying with your symbolic role in society. I think that's all very good. Um, I hope Jordan Peterson recovers. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, obviously I don't pay that close attention to it. But Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing then I'll maybe I'll thought to finish on is the good enough parent or the good enough role. Who was it he said the good enough parent? I think it was Winnicott, right? He said, parents don't have to be brilliant parents. So every parent's worry about, am I good enough or whatever? You actually don't have to be that good because it's a symbolic rule. It's a symbolic rule and you just have to be good enough that the symbolic function works. Uh, and it's the same with any rule within society. You have to kind of be good enough. But if you're too good, if, you th- if a parent thinks they're a parent, if, if they completely self-identify with the rule, it then becomes really bad, bad mm-hmm. for the parent. They, you've got these militaristic fathers or whatever that you, they literally- I'm your father. Yeah, you know, they become mm-hmm. the personification of fatherhood, all these problems that all we need to do is be good enough to fulfill our symbolic rules in work as parents, as this or as that. Um, and, uh, and, the, and, and it, it works very well. So it's the opposite of a type of meritocracy where you have to be the best. It's like, no, you just have to be good enough that the function functions. Mm-hmm. Um, the function functions, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. That reminds me of one of my favorite things that Rob Bell, uh, I've heard him say, which is like, just give your kids as little to unlearn as possible. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful like piece of advice. It's mm-hmm. like, don't try to... Unless, unless you take that as teach them absolutely nothing, just put them in an empty room. Is that not what it Don't is? even teach them language. Oh, yeah. Nothing yet. And then when they're 18, just open the door and let them out. Bye. <laughs> like dogs. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's very fun. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope you had a great time. Uh, leave us a comment down below on what you think is going on with any of these conversations. And I hope you're doing very well. Next week, I'm going to tell Pete all about Crime Scene, The Cecil Hotel, the new documentary on Netflix. And we're going to talk about that oh is that the one about the woman who mm-hmm. killed herself yeah i remember i saw the video where she was definitely having a psychotic break by the looks of it. from the video it looked like she was seeing mm-hmm. she was having delusions it's a fascinating thing to talk about through the lens of the type of stuff we talk about yeah. and it's also an interesting documentary uh, regarding web sleuths and youtubers so there's all sorts of fun stuff but all right we'll say that for a different time goodbye everybody bye-bye